Welcome to Aurelius Podcast, Episode 8, with Audrey Crane, partner at DesignMap. Audrey, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. So DesignMap, tell us a little bit about the company. Uh, we're a design consultancy in San Francisco. We're about 45 people, and the kind of work that we focus on is complexity. So complex, making complex products great to use. Usually that means B2B. Sometimes it means B2C in spaces like finance and healthcare. So the whole idea of um, consumerization of the enterprise is what we do with researchers, interaction and visual designers and prototypers and funding developers. Awesome. Well, we are relative fans of complexity here at Aurelius. So uh, I think we'll enjoy that conversation. You said consumerization of the enterprise. I'm curious, expand on that a little bit. I think this phrase has been around for a couple of years, and the idea is that the bar for the quality of user experience for consumer products, B2C products, is high, right? Because consumers theoretically don't have to use your product. If your product sucks, then they just say, I don't want to use it anymore. True. But in a B2B world, very often you are stuck using some products that your boss or somebody bought, right? And it's also normally more complicated, right? You're not like picking who you want to go on a date with or playing a game, but you're doing something really complex, like setting up a whole payroll or running some analysis on something or um, keeping a patient record. And so the idea is to apply the bar of consumer product quality of user experience to these highly complex spaces in B2B and enterprise. So I think it really should be consumerization of B2B, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? Any B2B product could be pretty complicated, but I guess consumerization of the enterprise sounds nicer. Sure. Well, sure. I mean, we, we like sizzle in our industry, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So when you're, when you're talking about consumerization, it's really, hey, let's give it the, the right tender loving care that we would of something that's you know, getting in front of uh, hopefully a global audience at scale. Right. With tender, loving care extending from really understanding what somebody wants or needs, what their goals are, to thinking about how to delight them as they're achieving those goals to making it look beautiful. Yeah. I mean, that's a really good point, too, because I, you know, those of us um, who have listened to the podcast, I suppose, hear us talk a lot about solving the right problems. We, we talk about that everywhere at Aurelius. And when you say that, it really sounds to me like more than just this, this sort of cold utilitarian world that enterprise and B2B software has lived in a long time. Hey, it gets the job done. It checks the box for me, either for compliance or a need in our organization. And I'm handing it to you as uh, you know my team or employees. And that's it. Yeah. That's what we're doing our job with. Totally. I mean, I think there's some really interesting stuff that you can do there if you go understand those users. My favorite story about that is we were doing some research for, actually it was for a product that was designed around compliance. And so it basically watched internet traffic to help IT guys who were responsible for regulatory compliance issues see what was going on. Hmm. And we were like, oh, well, that sounds boring and complicated. So we're going to... You know, our first idea was, well, we'll make it as simple as we can, but let's go out and talk to these guys and understand, you know, I think actually Peter Mer Merholtz, one of his favorite questions in research is what keeps you up at night, mm -hmm. right? And also questions about 
what does your boss say he cares about? What does he actually care about? Where do you want to be in five years? And we went out, we asked these guys this question and, and they were pretty split, but there was a fair size contingent in this kind of um, ethnographic sort of research persona based um, that said, I'm not aspirational. I like my job. I don't want to be a manager. I don't want to get promoted. Honestly, what's important to me is that my boss thinks that my job is pretty hard mm. and that he doesn't want to do it. He doesn't think to himself, like, what am I paying this guy for? Right. Yeah. And so, and so in a B2B world, understanding that guy's goal, which is to make his boss think he's important. And that guy is not the buyer, but he's a heavy influencer because nobody else understands what he does. He could have easily sat in these sales pitches and said, no, 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 like this product isn't powerful enough for what I need <laughs> and recommended, you know, a more complicated thing. So, so it's, it's, oh, it's not always at first blush in this B2B space, what people want, but it's the same kind of idea. Like what do people really want and how can we support them achieving those goals? Yeah, so, no, I, I, I love it. And I mean, again, I feel like we're beating our same war drum here with building a great strategy towards building a great product comes down to a fundamental understanding of what it is that business is trying to achieve, what it is the people they're trying to serve, you know, uh, uh, want and are doing today, what they need. Yeah. And then making decisions that are based in those things. We talk yep. about this. It seems so simple when we say it, but yet we are not doing it as yeah. often as we need to be, right? Yeah, I think that's true. It's it's interesting how, I mean, it's also interesting and important to be aware how easy it is to get research wrong. Mm. So that like, oh, well, I, I talked to like three people and I, when I said, would you buy a product that did this? They all said yes. <laughs> and so... Research is definitely not rocket science, but there are a few easy ways to really screw it up. Yeah. So, okay. You and Design Map, you guys are a big fan of complexity. We are too. You know, you've used the term, get me the napkin. What's that all about? This idea came about, I had a designer come to me very frustrated and saying like, the client is given me this drawing and has said, uh, can you just like, like, this is what we need. Just, just do your magic on it. <laughs> and I thought for a while about com while completely understanding why the designer is frustrated, right? You all want to feel like we're making a meaningful contribution. Uh, I don't think that the designer was necessarily sympathetic enough to the person who gave him the drawing. Sure. And what I mean by that is, like, what's the alternative to this drawing? I think what you want that product manager to do is to work back in their minds from this drawing to some abstracted idea of what the user wants and why and give that to you in a way that is completely unprescriptive. Mm -hmm. um, I do know some really good product managers who actually tie themselves in knots, trying to never be in any way prescriptive to, to a designer. Yeah. But then on the other hand, I, I definitely know product managers who just, they don't really understand what designers are capable of. And they give them, whether it's literally in the form of a drawing or it's an email or it's a whiteboard sketch or whatever. And then they say these words like, just 
you know, it usually starts with the word duck, <laughs> right? Like you could just work your magic, just make it sexy, just put some lipstick on it, just yeah. you know, make it sparkle. And what that's code for is like, I want to skip to the end of whatever design process you normally do, like whatever the good stuff that you do. I want to skip to the end of that and give you the solution. Right. And just have you kind of gussy it up a little bit. Right. right. So this idea of a napkin is useful in talking to product managers, right? Because we can say to them, first of all, is this a napkin? Like, do you really, do you really mean that you're jumping to the end of a conversation or uh, is this, do you mean to start the conversation? But it's also useful in talking to designers who get napkins and to have them think about like, not just designing the product, but designing their interaction with this product manager. Right? Yeah. And I love that concept of like applying design thinking. Well, maybe I won't use the phrase design thinking, but designing bigger than designing the stuff around the product and not just the product itself. And so you know, if they did give you a napkin, what are some techniques that you can use to sort of back away from that a little bit and maybe do a little ideation based on that napkin, which also happens to be like stepping backwards in the design process, understanding better what's in the product manager's mind, giving them an opportunity to see what you're capable of. Right. So if a napkin is like a, a drawing or an idea that's meant to jump to the end of design and that takes away people's opportunity to make a meaningful contribution, then um, how can we take a napkin and rewrite it so that we do have a chance to make a contribution? Yeah. Okay. So this is really great stuff. And this whole train of thought, you know, I would argue uh, other people probably share, but have not articulated it in the way that you have. So this is really interesting. I'm going to pull a couple threads apart and, you tell me if I'm if I'm if I'm staying true to the spirit of what you're saying. Right. And I'll actually share a story as an example of that. So, you know, I've worked with a designer myself um, not too long ago, uh, head of marketing, head of product. Somebody comes in and they say, yeah, here's the things that we're going to do and changes we need to the product. And of course, this designer goes, yep, here we go again, changing all this stuff. We don't know why, but we got to do it. And it's got to be done fast. Yeah. And this was a situation where I actually, you know, I, I talked with them and I said, well, yeah, I get it. It's we don't necessarily have the reasons why we should do that. We know their end result. I said, but it's conceivable, but they that they have a reason for this to do X, Y, and Z to benefit the business, right? Or X, Y, and Z as a stepping stone to helping these customers in a better way. Like that's possible, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Designer said, well, yeah, I guess I could see that. I said, we should probably ask them, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess we could do that, and so we did. <laughs> yeah right and so and so we did anyway where i'm going back to with this is uh again i mean i guess i i'm a pragmatist in a lot of ways where i just say it's that understanding of the business yeah. right and so being very practical and saying yes we want to learn everything we can and serving customer user needs but if if we're not balancing that with the thing that's best for the business we f we actually fail the in reality yeah. right and I, and that that's kind of how i interpret what you're saying with this get me the napkin thing yeah i, I mean and that's a great <laughs> i'm so glad that you did that and that's how you can kind of with newer designers saying like first of all do they really mean that they just want this in color you know in the photoshop version but second of all like 
can we go back and ask them some questions? And, you know, normally the, the answer is, of course, mm-hmm. please. And, and, um, and that simple, like if we can call asking some questions a technique, and they may, I think product managers, Marty Kagan said this recently in a talk, he's like, I'm so sick of having designers tell me that they're the proxy for the user. Like anybody's out to get the user or like product managers could give a shit about the user, right? right. So, so the PM may well like have in mind the user too, right? In the business. And so the fact that they've jumped to the end doesn't mean that we can't go back and say, hey, could we have a little more time with this? Now, sometimes you can't, right? Like sometimes a contract got signed, an ad has to get put there, like, sorry, you're just SOL. Mm-hmm. Or, mm-hmm. But most often, either they'll say, yes, please ask me some questions, or you can use really tiny, subtle things. Like one of my favorite, easiest ones to do is say, I'm just going to redraw this um, and kind of think out loud while I do it. Mm-hmm. And can you sit and do that with me? And so you take their drawing. If it's on a whiteboard, you draw it right next to them. And you say, so, and you think out loud. So there's, is this an ad right here? Can you tell me about that? And as you're talking through it, you might, they might say, oh yeah, we, you know, we're really getting killed on ad revenue. And so da, 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 da. Or when you say, and this compare thing, like, is that what that's about? Oh yeah, I was just reading some research that says that, you know, people really feel a lot better about a choice, about a decision that they've had through choice. So it's the moral equivalent of, you know, that technique of saying like, oh, so I heard you say, and then you say back, it's basically, I saw you draw. Yeah. Draw back what they drew in the exact same medium. And then you and they talk as you draw and you learn an awful lot. Yeah. A couple of simple riffs on that are like, okay, well, now that I heard this, well, let's just draw one that's all about comparison. And let's just draw one that's all about ad. And you can kind of say that if the three most important things about this are comparison and you know whatever the other two are, let's draw one that's just all about that, just to see what it looks like. And all of a sudden, you're designing, right? You're not just making yeah. it pretty. You're understanding more about their thought process. You're showing them what you're capable of contributing. And you're not, you're not like winding the thing up and being like, screw you, buddy. Like I'm a designer. Yeah. I got, (laughs) do you know where I went to school? (laughs) Do you know who I am? (laughs) Yeah. And I think um, that we hopefully now have gotten over the idea of design for design's sake and that we need to understand that our, our purpose and I, I heard the last podcast I listened to too, that we're, we're trying to have an impact on the world, right? There's an outcome and that's related to people, including the people that make this business happen. And so I, I'm just more and more coming across designers who think that way, but I, I do still think there's a reason that there's only a few schools that teach anything about this yes. and that we still have a long ways to go. I think CCA now has an MBA program, right? But we still have a long ways to go. And as I talk to designers who say, like, why don't they realize how important design is to me? Like, how can I show them the value of design? Then I, to be able to say back to them, well, you tell me, what is the value? Yeah. And they don't know. You know, they don't even know if the stuff is getting released, much less if it's having an impact on the bottom line, which is okay. They didn't get taught that. But we, as leaders in the design community, have to start asking them these questions. Mm-hmm. 
I was just talking to a really junior designer the other day. He's like one guy in like a 200 person company. <laughs> and he was, he was sitting in a, like a QA session basically. And he was looking at the code with the QA guys and the engineers. And he said to the engineer, like, I don't, it just really looks really different from the mock-up. I don't quite understand why it's so different. And the engineer turned to him and said, you did a mock-up? Like, he <laughs> oh, didn't even know that the thing. And so my advice to this guy was like, look, either I'm sorry, but either move on or stop. Stop what you're doing. Make a war room. Find out where the business is bleeding money because there's some stupid support issue or something. Fix that. And then let's start to have a conversation about the value of design, yeah. right? Because it's not a it's not a theory. Like it's it's pretty tangible. And yeah, there's some stuff that's more ephemeral about it that's related to brand and sort of the being good stewards of the brand promise and delight and that kind of stuff. But there's also some pretty tangible things. And if if what you have right now is nothing, then let's start with some tangible business impacts and then talk about delight and other th words like that. No question. And, you know, I would argue that folks who find themselves in that situation, junior designers or not, because yeah. I have found surprisingly more mid to senior level designers in the same situation, mm. bitching about the same things. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, okay, so we'll just use your question as an example. How can I show them the value of the work that I do? Well, tell me what you've been doing to show them the value of the work yeah. that you do rather than just complaining that people don't see the value, right? It's yeah. like <clears throat> it's like you sitting in your basement, not having any contact with the outside world, solving all of the world's strongest and, and most difficult math problems and wondering why nobody knows about it. <laughs> I'm not yeah. asking you to be an iconoclast. I'm not asking you to be you know, uh, some, some brilliant marketer, but for God's sakes, talk with people who are going to get value out of what you do, help them understand how you solve that problem for them. Like you said, find out where it hurts and poke it until they pay attention to you nice. on how you can help them alleviate that pain. And again, that falls back to, if you can just simply show them, Hey, actually I'm going to come in here and try to be as objective as I can. I'm not going to cram this design stuff down your throat, but rather what I'm going to do is I'm going to learn everything I can about, you know, honestly, what you, Mr. and Mrs. Stakeholder, is trying to do from a business. And I can say, you know what? I bet you if we did this thing for the customer, which I've researched and understood, I yeah. bet you we can meet your goal. Yeah. That's what true product strategy is to me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, if you're doing something that's not having an impact, it sounds crazy to say to your boss and your colleagues, like, no. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm, I'm just not going to do that. I'm going to find something that does have an impact. Like, what's the worst thing that could happen, really? Yeah. And what you're saying is it's important to me to make a difference to our business and to our yeah. customers. Yeah. Like, so, yeah. I mean. Well, and you know, the thing is, too, when I've given this advice to people, which I've done for, oh, I don't know now, uh, <laughs> five to ten years, um, the thing of it is, it ultimately boils down to a very simple point. If you do that and you try it that way, right? Just humor me and try it that way. If you have people who still tell you no, then I also have a simple answer for you. You don't work there anymore. 
because yeah. they are not interested in actually having a successful business. Yeah. However, if the alternative occurs and you do that and they go, well, it's not a bad idea. Guess what you just did? You probably improved your situation and the position of design in the way that that can be applied to affect your business twofold. Yeah. In a couple meetings, maybe. Right. Absolutely. So yeah. I, I want to take I it back. Do what you're telling them. <laughs> I'm sorry. Everybody should just do what we're saying. <laughs> yeah. So listen, if this is not the most single listen to podcast on Aurelius, <laughs> then you guys are all messing up. We're not editing that out either. This is coming right from me and Audrey. Okay. So one thing I think that's interesting about napkins is, well, there's two things I want to point out, which are kind of fun. I guess fun in a nerdy way. Which is um, fun for our industry. All right. the nerdy things are fun for us. You just had the nerdery on, right? Like, so here I am. We did. Um, so one thing I think is fun is that this idea of a napkin, like jumping to a solution and having contributors feel like they lost out on their op their chance to to add something is it it doesn't just happen in design right it it happens in everything mm -hmm. so when mm -hmm. your girlfriend says like our anniversary is coming up and i saw the cutest pair of earrings right like that's a napkin yeah that's also a recipe for disaster if you didn't, if you didn't hear what they said <laughs> right and when your kid writes a letter to Santa Claus, that's a napkin. And when teachers get lesson plans dictated to them from the school district, that's a napkin. So as I've been talking to people about this idea, I'm hearing every, I've got airplane pilots and all kinds of people, event plan, wedding planners, the worst. They're like, well, you're the expert. So you decide as long as it's exactly like this. And so that, like understanding that about other people or professions mm. or situations is kind of fun and interesting and also thinking about when you do it yeah. so i was talking about this idea for months before i realized you know in my business i write i write statements of work mm -hmm. and then i have a design director that comes on the project who he or she is the day-to-day -day contact that's like overseeing the statement of work that I've written about how I think the project should be run. And so a couple months into writing this, I turned to one of the design directors and I was like, so when I give you guys statements of work that you're supposed to work against, that's like, I'm totally giving you a napkin, right? And <laughs> they're like, yep, yeah. <laughs> I have one guy who works for us who's got a smile for everything and he's got a, like a smile for like, that's so great. I'm really happy. And he's got a smile for fuck you, Audrey. And he kind of gave, like, <laughs> he gave me that latter smile. And yeah. I was like, oh my God, you know? Yep. So we like, we all do this in life and it happens to lots of people. And I think that idea is just fun and it makes it a little bit more relatable, like what a napkin is. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Man, I love that so much. You know, it's funny. I feel like our CTO at Aurelius has a, has a smile. It's ghost. Fuck you, Zach. That's, we're not we're not doing that as quickly as you think we're doing that. Yeah. Um, Engineers get napkins from CTOs all the time, right? Like a CTO who hasn't written a line of code in 10 years, but knows exactly how something should be written. Yeah. Well, no, it's funny. I mean, oh, God, this is not the scope of our podcast, but my God. And we even have, Joseph, you can yell into the microphone because he's here, our CTO at Aurelius. Uh, you, you guys crave napkins. You're hungry. You consume napkins. That's literally... 
your diet is completely comprised of napkins. As a matter of fact, you ask for them, um, but yet have to struggle with them at the same time. It's a, it's yeah. a wild, it's a wild world. I want to, so yeah, every, cause really what you're saying now too, and this idea of give me the napkin is really like, give me your best concise delivery of what you think you want so that we have something to work with. And so sometimes maybe we say, you know, you gave me that napkin and I'm not sure you need a napkin. And then sometimes we say, you gave me that napkin and it sounds like maybe you actually need a tablecloth. <laughs> yeah. For, for me personally, I don't ask for napkins. I don't really encourage people to ask for napkins, right? It's like, um, it's what you do when you get one, mm. which is first verify that that's actually what you have. And then second of all, understanding if that is what you have, are you just stuck with it because of some legal or time constraints? And then third of all, if it is a napkin, but you're not stuck with it, what are some things that you could try at this, like sort of, what are some t design techniques that you can try with the, the system that you're working within in which you get a napkin that mm. can make it better? So, I don't really want a napkin. Uh, I don't encourage people to ask for them unless they are really seeking concision for some other reason. But it's really, what do you do when you get one? I got it. And then the, the flip side of the coin is like, because it's, I think it sucks, right? Like if my definition of a napkin is, it's a description of a solution that removes your opportunity to make a meaningful contribution, Nobody wants a napkin, right? Everybody <laughs> wants to make a meaningful contribution right. in some way. Okay, maybe not nobody, but there are fairly limited situations in which you want to feel like your contribution won't be useful. Right, right. And then the flip side of a napkin is when people are like so vague that um, you can't do anything useful with it. So, and those start with just often as well, right? So it's like, just have fun, you know, with no drawing, just nothing, like just have fun. And I talked to somebody who got this like anti-napkin, if you will, and she was like, oh, I was designing us. It was supposed to be like a site for students to keep in touch with each other once they had graduated, like an alum network thing. And with no requirements, they said to her, just you know what to do just make it sticky <laughs> <laughs> and so there's like on the one hand a napkin right which is like you have no opportunity to make a contribution yeah. there oh, nothing but constraints on the other hand there's like literally no boundaries and designers thrive on problem solving within boundaries and that's really hard too yeah yeah i mean <laughs> it's funny because this the scenario you just described to me is not uh, I got a napkin, but rather that person has shit all over them <laughs> and we need a way to clean it up. A napkin might work, but that's probably not enough. Um, so, yeah. So, so there we go. You know, okay. I, I have been, it's very, yeah, it is. We try, we strive to be aspirational on the Aurelius podcast. Um, I have been itching to, to turn our our conversation to, uh, to something slightly different, and this is a, a topic very important and near and dear to our hearts, right? We talk about solving the right problems. This idea yeah. of get me the napkin, 
yeah. is an opportunity to that. I mean, and, and again, just to summarize everything that we've had, right? The napkin is really a metaphor for, you know, some expression of, I think I know what I want and I'm giving it to you. And yeah. your argument is the way you choose to respond to that determines your outcome on that work, right? Yeah. So how do we solve the right problems? How do we know we're solving the right problems for our business, for our customers, whether we have a napkin or not? Yeah, I, I, um, I've heard you talk about this right problem problem. Um, and I, to be honest with you, I struggle with it a little bit. And okay. maybe I'm, I don't know if I'm like oversimplifying things or just being too optimistic, but there's a lot of problems in the world, you know? And um, they all need salt. <laughs> and so... To, to, to say the right problem makes me worried about being open to a right problem. Mm. So uh, Slack, right, is a good example of that, where the Slack guys, I can't even remember what they were doing. Was it like a video game or something? Oh, my and, God, I have no idea. Yeah, they were doing something totally, totally, completely unrelated. Oh, wow, to, I haven't heard that story. Okay. And I think it was a game, but I really, I can't remember, which is embarrassing, but it is Friday and I'm down one beer. So, um, (laughs) (laughs) so, uh, so Slack was an internal tool that they built to communicate effectively. Right. And, and they turned that into a massively successful business. Right. Mm. So that using the term, the right problem implies that there's, there's one. Right. And I think it's, a right problem, right? And very rarely do we, I mean, I don't know what the number is, but I imagine that very rarely do we set out having a complete understanding of the right problem. And sometimes it might be 180 degrees from where we start out. Yeah. But the question is, are we open to understanding a problem and solving it well? Um, whether or not it's the right problem, you know, I yeah. don't know. There's a lot of right problems. Oh my goodness. I love that response so much <laughs> to that question. And I want to dig into it. So I, so that's fantastic. That's very kind of you. Um, oh, okay. So, so you're saying, yeah, there is not the right problem. And I would, uh, fair for me to qualify that, not suggesting there is a singular right problem, but exactly what you're saying. There are problems that are perhaps more worth solving than the ones we think we've defined. And you already touched on that, which is, please like keep going on that because that's, I think that's the salient point to everything that we're talking about. Well, I mean, it's, it's almost like an inevitable outcome of being truly, I don't know if you want to use the word agile or iterative or whatever, right? User centered, customer centered. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, maybe it's a question of degree. Like the idea of the right problem sort of implies like, okay, well we think, we think we're going to San Francisco and we're on a boat and we're going to end up, you know, somewhere between Los Angeles and something North of San Francisco. And so um, you, the Slack example is one where we ended up in, you know, Hong Kong, Hong Kong. Exactly. And so it, it implies 
and and I've heard people talk about this before, right? Like the it's like the problem with A B testing, right? Where you're like the tuning that you're doing is too fine yes. to really be innovative. And so maybe your question is like, how do we know that we're headed in roughly the right direction and that the tuning that, you know, trusting that the tuning we do will get us to LA or San Francisco as we should. Um, because the tuning work is not going to get us to Hong Kong. Yeah. You know what? I actually, so that analogy is really, really good. And uh, so I, it will make its initial debut on episode eight of Aurelius podcast, a talk <laughs> proposal that I never submitted uh, called walking <laughs> the shot in. Right. So I am not a marksman or I, I in, in a firearm uh, advocate really in any way other than to say that I watched a lot of <laughs> television about snipers, right? They're fascinating <laughs> to me. Okay. I promise I'm making a point here. And so, okay. the, so the idea is when a, when a sniper is trying to uh, sight in his rifle, right? Like make it as accurate as possible. They're walking in the shot. That's the actual term that they use, walk in the shot, right? So they take what they call, I think, a, a cold barrel shot, pow, and they see where it lands on the target. And then they make adjustments on their scope and the rest of their rifle or whatever else. And then another one. Mm. And then they mm -hmm. see where that ended up. And they make another one. And then they're walking the shot in essentially until they hit the bullseye, until they can continuously hit the bullseye. Why does this matter in the point that I'm making? Exactly what you just described. Well, if we're on our boat on our way to San Francisco <laughs> and we see Hong Kong on the horizon, we probably waited too, wait, too long <laughs> yeah. to make adjustments to our, our course or direction, right? And I guess the point of where all this comes to in design in product strategy is really saying, let's start at least with even a broadly defined goal for the product and experience. And let's take action on that. Let's take action on that that is informed in that goal we all agreed to or set of goals and a fundamental understanding of our customers or users, however you define them, right? Yeah. And then let's keep doing things that stay true to that. Now, if those goals change and the understanding of our customers and users change, that's completely fine. So long as it's refining to this like central point, that bullseye, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What are your reactions to that? Yeah, I'm, I mean, I, uh, I might be oversimplifying, but I, it seems like very broadly what you're saying is like, let's make sure that we feel like a market opportunity exists. Mm -hmm. and, and maybe understanding that opportunity is as specific as we need to get. Um, you know, there's this population, they have expendable income, they have a you know, really hard time with something. And then, um, or in the B2B world, it's slightly different than that, but maybe that market is, is close enough to a target. And then we start to say, okay, well, within that market, uh, we see these kinds of people with these kinds of problems. And then we can hone in a little bit, right? And say, okay, well, there are competitors in that space. Do we feel like that indicates that that space is, has opportunity because other people see opportunity there or there are no competitors in that space. So it's like all ours for the taking. And then you sort of move in incrementally. And so perhaps in that way, Slack is a bad example, right? Because they just like, I mean, that's not a pivot. That's not even an about face. It's like getting beamed up to the enterprise or something. <laughs> 
<laughs> so people can't, I don't think that we can expect people to have success to follow that same um, right. path to success. Right. Like you have to have some hope that you're going to get somewhere that you're, that you feel like is worth getting, but that maybe the question is just having a broad enough definition of success or the category of problems that you think you might be able to solve. And then you, you narrow appropriately. Yeah. So you do big corrections in the beginning and smaller corrections towards the end. Yeah. Yeah, completely. I mean, okay. So a couple comments one tying back to something else you said you talked about you know a b testing being way too fine of refinements mm -hmm. uh perhaps depending on the level of appropriateness where you are in your product strategy right that's one thing and yeah. then another one is entirely the maturity even of your company or solution right that's i mean if that's how i would summarize everything you just said and i would agree sure. with by the way is if you are a new company, uh, let's keep riding the slack train for a moment. If you are a new company and you're saying, yeah, we're doing this thing. We want to uh, entertain and delight people. But oh, by the way, we, we happen to have this internal tool that is mm -hmm. actually really awesome for us. Yeah. Let's just, let's just, you know, let, let's just let that dub fly and see if it takes, you know, flight. Um, wow. All of a sudden we pay attention to that. Yeah. To bring it back to that same analogy, it's like, well, you hit the target. You're nowhere near the bullseye, but you actually hit the target. Interesting. Let's explore that. And so yeah. that's that def for me defines a level of, you know, maturity in the business and product strategy to say we recognize where we are, but we can at least, you know, draw a circle around that. We can define it and say, this is where we are. We want to get closer to that center ring. Right. And then your product strategy gets more and more refined where in time, when you are no longer a new product or a new development company, everything you're doing is in refining and optimizing the products and services that exist, right? Mm -hmm. So that's this is a really interesting shift in conversation for me to just recognize that like product strategy, the definition of that is only appropriate to the maturity of the organization. Mm -hmm. And I'll stop there and kind of let you react. Yeah, no, I like that idea. So I think we're kind of talking about two things, which is one, the fidelity of your definition of right problem should change over time as your strategy and your company matures. Mm. And then later your challenge is going to be, do we need a new product or should we split this functionality into a new product? Da, 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 da. And then also that on that journey, of refining your right problem being open to other problems yes yes critical right critical uh insofar as too you are open to that as a potential solution to not a product or service that already exists in your company right yeah yeah I feel like we're we're like well into product management territory here, so it's easy to share <laughs> quarterback. But at the same time, because we're along for um, we're partners with them in understanding the problem, the who's going to use the thing, what their problems are, and how we might help them solve those problems. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, it makes sense that we wouldn't. Why would we start with a? you know, a card sorting exercise when we don't even know if they need a horse or a car. Right. 
we should not A-B test the labels on the form until we know we even need the form, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned product management. I, I'll pull the hard left turn here and just say, hey, Audrey, what's the difference between a designer and a product manager? Oh, I like that. Um, so I do think there's a continuum and I think there are BAs in there somewhere too, right? Mm -hmm. I think business analysts still exist and I think they're actually right smack in the middle between product managers and designers. Um, the, what I hope to have in a product manager is somebody who um, understands the opportunity from a numeric perspective. <laughs> okay. Expand on that numeric perspective. <laughs> so what, whatever that means to them. But uh, so, you know, we understand this market. We know how many, let's say that it is B2B. Like we know how many, we know that we're going to target this size of B2B. The reason that we're going to target or this size of business with our B2B product, the reason that we're going to target is because there are X number of those in the United States. We looked at Canada. We're not including Canada in this release because there's only blah, blah, blah of those. Um, we know how much money this problem costs those small businesses. We know how much revenue they make on average. And we know how much money our goal is to save those businesses this much money. Mm. So the ROI for them is clear. We know they exist. We know they have the money. And also we have a go-to-market strategy to reach them, which is critical. Um, okay. It rarely falls. I, I think none of that stuff very frequently falls within the purview of the designer. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's been my experience as well. Uh, so to summarize what you've said is, you know, in defining the difference between a product manager and designer, one would expect the product manager to have a good answer to what does this do for the business? What yeah. is the quantifiable market and drivers there? Yeah. And I mean, hey, let's just be selfish here. What answers can you give me to help me do my job better as a designer? Sure. Totally. Um, but I, I do think, I agree with Marty that there's an overlap in sort of embracing the needs of the user. And that's why hopefully on those user interviews, you have the PM and the designer going out together and both empathizing with and understanding and exploring ways to help solve those problems. And then the designer kind of splits off into their experience and expertise suggesting solutions for those problems and doing the legwork to actually get a product out into market, right? Right. Okay, so I'll take a step back. Again, something we hitch our wagon to at Aurelius is the product manager in this role, in this definition, is really helping us get that definition of what it is we're trying to do as a business, right? And like making mm -hmm. sure that they own that and drive that from the product perspective. But then once we move from uh, what it sounds like, you know, designers probably should own is gaining that very good understanding of then what the customers of that product are, are trying to do and what their behavior is. The product owner should be the shepherd of the of that plan moving forward to say, okay, here's how we bring that solution, which is a combination of those things to market. 
Yeah, I think I might make like a fine point on that. So if we're thinking of like the the three circles, right? Buildable, mm -hmm. usable, viable. There's an overlap between the product circle and the design circle. And I, I think that what lives in that overlap is really a true empathy for the user, understanding those deeper underlying goals and agreements on which of those you're going to try to meet. Yes. Solving the right problem. That's how I would yeah. posit that. Mm -hmm. Or solving a right problem. A if right problem. Yes. Solving then, a right problem. <laughs> and then, um, and if you don't have, if you're not, if you are not doing that together, then you're just creating a lot of trouble for everybody, right? And then, uh, and then, yeah, moving forward, the moving that forward into a visualization of a product that supports that solution is falls under the purview of the designer. So yes. maybe I just reset what you said again, but <laughs> I don't, I don't want to say like biz product owns the business and designers own the users right? because it, it belies the overlap of the things that we need to share. And uh, I know that's tricky, right? It'd be more clear if it was own, but I think it's share. Well, that's also the world we live in. I mean, I think there's a uh, considerable overlap between these two roles, which is um, I, I'm quite certain you'll share the same perspective that I have seen so many UX designers move into product management roles and even vice versa for that yeah. very reason where there is no really clear delineation between the two. And I'm personally okay with there not being any, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's, we all know that we have to, again, if we just go back to these basic principles of saying, yep, we agree. We got to have some really good understanding of what the business is trying to do. If we can map that back to a really good understanding of what, you know, our, our users or our customers need and the behavior they have, we can probably deliver a successful product. Yeah. There yeah. we go. We've solved it. Audrey and I have solved it right on this podcast. Done. QED. Pow. Okay. We have had such a fantastic conversation with Audrey, but unfortunately we are running out of time and I will just ask you, is there anything you would like to share with those listening to this podcast before we wrap it up today? Um, well, I had a great time talking with you too. This was, I have to admit that when you sent an email at eight o'clock this morning, confirming eight o'clock tonight, I was like, oof, okay, <laughs> but this has been great. So we should definitely do this next Friday. We'll have beer also. Um, so thank you so much for the conversation. I really appreciate the chance to talk through this stuff with somebody who's been there too. So, um, in terms of sharing, you know, Design Map is a great place to work. You <laughs> do really good work too. So um, we're always open to great designers and we're always open to great opportunities. So I'll kind of leave it at that. And so who do you guys usually do work for at Design Map? Yeah, um, we do. Usually we do work for people who are making B2B products. Okay. And um, they're from kind of late stage startups up to enterprise. Got it. And, you know, you're looking for people to do great work with you in San Francisco. What, uh, what kind of person are you looking for? That's right. San Francisco, we kind of have everybody there right now. Um, we are really always looking for researchers, interaction, and visual designers. 
and prototypers or front-end developers who might be willing to sit next to somebody who can see two pixels off from 20 feet away. Yeah, I like that. All right, <laughs> where can people find these opportunities? What is the URL for your website, Audrey? Yep, come see us at designmap.com. Fantastic. All right, guys, Audrey Crane, partner at Design Map. What a fantastic conversation we've had. Audrey Crane, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks, Zach. All right, we will see you next time. Thanks for listening to Aurelius Podcast, talking about product strategy and design strategy. We are the first platform of its kind to help you solve the right problems for your customers and your business and build products and services that truly matter. You can check us out at AureliusLab.com. That is www.A-U-R-E-L-I-U-S-L-A-B.com. You can check us out on Twitter at AureliusLab and Instagram Aurelius Lab. We'll see you next time.